Thank you, Naomi. Well, uh, let's review. Since we, uh, a few weeks ago, since we started following uh, Paul um, in Luke's book of Acts, the last few chapters, uh, well, Paul has been severely beaten by a violent mob in Jerusalem, then imprisoned, falsely accused, three trials, failed to acquit and release him, even though there was no evidence whatsoever to back up the charges. Everyone knows he's innocent, including those accusing him. But no one will release him. He was kept in prison for a further two years because the guy in charge of him was so scared of the local Jewish religious establishment, too scared to do the right thing and release him. Seeing that sooner or later they were indeed going to get him, Paul decides to appeal to Caesar forcing his imprisoner's hand and requiring him to be relocated to Rome. On the way, nobody listens to him. And as a direct result, he spends 14 days in a fierce winter storm aboard a wooden boat in the southern Mediterranean before having to swim for his life. He survives, but with nothing, nothing at all other than the sodden clothes in which he stands. Having made it out of the ocean, it starts to rain. Having started a fire, a snake bites him. From our perspective as mortals on this mortal coil, boy, that's a lot of bad luck. Paul perhaps could be forgiven for thinking that he's been cursed. But Paul knew that he wasn't cursed. He knew that he was blessed. When bad things happen to us, it's very, very easy to think that we have been cursed or we're being punished or both. Is God punishing me? This is one of the most common questions that hospital chaplains get get asked by hospital patients. And this way of thinking is close to universal. Uh, To theists, that is to say, to, to those who believe in the existence of God or a God or gods and goddesses, to theists, there has to be a link between good behavior and good outcome. And indeed, the world does seem most of the time to reward those who do the right thing, who, 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 who are diligent, hardworking, obedient, polite, kind, generous. And the world does indeed seem to punish sooner or later, and sometimes quite severely, those who do the wrong thing, those who are lazy, those who steal, those who are unfaithful or disloyal or rude or unkind or stingy. Surely, surely, good must surely come to those who are good and evil to those who are evil. Such thinking is so ingrained in human beings that even atheists struggle to escape it. An atheist is someone who either does not believe in the existence of God or perhaps more technically is someone who believes in the non-existence of God. Uh, The actor and comedian Stephen Fry, uh, whose argument against the existence of God can be found on YouTube, 
Stephen Fry speaks with eloquence and wit and pathos when he offers his proof that God cannot exist. His argument is this. Exceedingly bad things happen, such as agonizing parasitic illnesses that make you go blind, to exceedingly innocent people, such as newborn babies in Africa. Therefore, God cannot exist. But in his inability to think outside of this particular box, in his inability to reconcile bad things happening to good people, Stephen Fry is identical to the inhabitants of first century Malta. He may be a little bit more sophisticated in his framework and his terminology and worldview, but he is, in essence, very much of the same way of thinking of them when they see a snake hanging off Paul's hand and say to each other, verse 4, this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, divine justice has not allowed him to live. Well, um, Paul knows that he is on display. He, he is Christ's representative, uh, firstly as a Christian, secondly as an apostle. And today, um, it couldn't be more clear that he has an audience, a crowd gathered watching. This is how the EEV puts it, the endlessly expanded version. <clears throat> Many of the islanders sat down to watch. They ate popcorn and chalk bombs expecting a show. They knew the local wildlife and knew what to expect. Before very long, he'd blow up like a balloon and then suddenly fall over, dead as a dodo. And everyone would applaud because everybody likes it when bad things happen to bad people, to murderers, which is obviously what this guy must have been guilty of. But Paul shook the uh, snake off uh, into the fire, quite quite right too, and suffered no ill effects. They waited a long time, but nothing bad happened. The the evidence of their eyes refuted their equation. Bad things must happen to bad people. Good things must happen to good people. But rather than to uncouple that equation, they uncoupled Paul. Paul, therefore, can't be people. He must be God's. The whole thing is a remarkable testimony to the ingenuity of human thinking. But Paul, who is on display, to a degree that he could never truly imagine, I mean, Job never did, he, he, never, got, he never understood or was told just what a huge audience his life was being played out in front of. Job never got it, and neither will we. We, we don't also understand the audience in which, in, in which our lives are being played out in front of. Um, we won't understand it until all is revealed. But Paul knows, Paul knows he's on display as an actor, so to speak, in an enacted parable, a parable that preaches the gospel with everything that he says and in everything that he does. So what did Paul do? Well, Paul found that his host's father was sick in bed with dysentery. Here's what you do. When you find out that someone in the house is suffering from fever and dysentery, you leave. You leave without touching anything. After you've left, you aquium your hands. 
twice. Otherwise, an evil thing might happen to you. You might get dysentery. I mean, when you're shipwrecked on a remote island and you lose everything, that's like the bottom has fallen out of your world. But when you get dysentery, it's like the world is falling out of your bottom. Here's what Paul did. He went into the sick room. He put his hands on the sick man. He's not afraid that an evil thing will happen to him. Paul prayed for the sick man, and he was healed. In fairness to us, to those who have been reading uh, Luke's book of Acts from the beginning, we knew this was going to happen, didn't we? I mean, we knew this was going to happen because Paul is an apostle, which means that he can operate in every sphere of ministry, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, and with every spiritual gift, uh, gift of prophecy, gift of healing, etc., etc., just as Jesus did in his earthly ministry. He can do that because he's an apostle. Everyone that Paul prayed for to be healed was healed in the name of Jesus. In fact, even sweat rags that had touched Paul affected uh, the healing in those who touched them. This healing ministry, in this particular case, is an apostolic ministry linked to his apostolic call to preach and proclaim the gospel. Um, The authority evident in the healing miracles is intended by God to help people understand that the gospel that Paul preaches is God's truth, pointing exclusively to Jesus, God's one and only Son. Um, I'm not an apostle. Um, I'm, I'm a pastor and an elder uh, in this church by, by the grace of God. And elders of churches are commanded in Scripture to likewise pray for healing whenever needed in expectation of healing. Uh, there may also be, there should be, there will be people in this church with the gift of healing. Uh, When we, that is the elders and those possessing the healing charism, when when we pray for people, there may be miraculous healing. There may be accelerated natural healing. I've seen both. With Jesus, Paul, and the apostles, always full and miraculous physical healing. With elders and others, maybe full and miraculous physical healing, maybe not. But without doubt, blessing, without doubt, without doubt, the blessing of God as we ask Jesus to make manifest more of his love and power in that sick person's life. So uh, please come forward at the conclusion of the service, by all means, if if you would like prayer for healing. Uh, You will be blessed and you will be healed, although I don't know what that healing will look like. Well, getting, getting back to Paul, um, uh, naturally, when word got out, everyone on the island who was sick, disabled, injured, or unwell came, and they were healed. Paul, who very self-consciously knew he was God's ambassador in Christ, acted like a servant. Patiently, with hard work, praying with and over everyone as they came, in Jesus' name, free of charge. All bulk build. 
And just to cut back to the beginning of the story, verse 3, we find Paul chipping in and fully lending a hand with the collection of the firewood in the first place. And that was a remarkable testimony in its own right. An extraordinary display. As, as Paul went about helping, it would have raised eyebrows. Because Paul, you see, um, is what would be known in England as a gentleman. He's a university-trained theologian and a Roman citizen. The Greeks and the Romans despised manual work. That's what slaves did. The Jews, in contrast, they did esteem manual work, and in fact, every Pharisee had to have a trade, but they didn't value or understood stand servanthood. Paul, as a Christian, values manual work and esteems above all things serving others as a parable, as a picture, as a way of showing people what God is like, that Jesus came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, returning to the snake... An evil thing happened to Paul. He was bitten by a snake. But it had no effect on him. Publius's dad has dysentery. Paul is not frightened by it. He goes in and heals him. And then everyone on the island to whom bad things had happened, they came. And without them needing to confess or renounce or repay, the, the bad thing just left them. God, through Paul and his ministry on that island, is patiently uncoupling the simple correlation between goodness of virtue and goodness of outcome. We've all fallen short. We've all fallen short. None of us can repay. Exceedingly bad things happen even to exceedingly good people. A lot of bad things happened to Paul. Check out 2 Corinthians 11 time. And as for Jesus, the only one of us who can claim to be completely innocent from birth, Jesus died an agonizing death on a cross, naked and abused. But God turned that curse around for him and for us. Through the cross... Jesus received eternal life, raised from the dead, never to die again. Length of days, forever and ever. Through the cross, we are forgiven. Christ took the curse we deserved upon himself in order that we might receive from him his righteousness and be healed. Through the cross, evil is put on display and publicly paraded now as powerless. Evil is ultimately self-defeating. The, the, the cross was meant to humiliate and kill Jesus and negate him and just make him zero. But it put him in power or in put him in, in, in power of the universe. Through the cross, evil is paraded as ultimately powerless, self-defeating. So then in Christ through the cross, we too now have the victory. We're more than conquerors, sharing in Christ's vindication and reward. 
you might be wondering about the snake. Um, I really like snakes. Um, I think they're both beautiful and fascinating. Um, whenever I see them in the bush, I consider myself blessed. Um, perhaps you think that Paul's witness might have been improved by a modicum of environmental care and responsibility. Release the snake into a remote area. Let it go. I don't know if Paul shook the snake off into the fire spitefully or instinctively, with or without anger. He may have wanted to protect those who were with him from any further incident. We can only speculate. But I like it that the snake went into the fire. From the perspective of this being an enacted parable, um, with Paul as a willing but unwitting actor, the fire was the right destiny for the snake. No weapon formed against the people of God can prosper. God will turn every curse into a blessing. Those who attack us will regret it. Evil, when it attacks us, is actually self-defeating. Evil will slay the evildoer. The enemies of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. The sudden destruction of the snake rehearses the total sovereignty over evil that Paul has through the cross of Jesus Christ. Um, I like snakes. I, I also have a lot of hobbies and interests. I have a somewhat obsessive interest in birds and in cars. I love aeroplanes and models. I'm interested in history, painting, and music. But I have one obsessive interest that I pursue above all others, and that is my own welfare. Perhaps as a matter of instinct, perhaps as a result of my fallenness, I'm just really, really concerned about my own health and well-being. For that reason, my mind rebels against the lesson that I'm teaching you this morning. I find it hard to believe. I find it hard to teach. And I find it hard to live. But for all that, I know that it's true. And it's the unswerving experience. It's the witness of 26 years of being a Christian. Bad things have happened to me. But Jesus has saved me every time. I am, like Paul and like you, I am an enacted parable. I'm on display before an audience. I have been put on display, like Job and just like you, before the world and before an audience of spiritual powers and authorities we could barely guess at. As I trust God with my welfare... And as I make the glory of God more important than my own well-being, God will transform everything for me. This is what Jesus is talking about in the gospel reading this morning. If you want to follow me, you must take up your cross. If, if you want to follow Jesus, you must trust God with your welfare. In fact, you follow him to the cross. That, that's, that's, that's just actually not good for your health and well-being at all. Crosses tend to kill people, slowly and painfully. If, you, if, if, 
if, if you try to save your life, if safety and well-being is what you really pursue, then that leads to death. But if you trust God with your welfare and make the glory and honor of God more important even than your own being and self, he will raise you up. That's what it means to be a Christian. This is the gospel, and therefore, obviously, obviously, it does not mean that bad things aren't going to happen to you or to me. In fact, it's actually kind of really important that they do, at least occasionally. For it is when bad things happen to God's people, that is when God is most powerfully at work. And, and the cross is that message in history. It is when bad things happen to God's people. That is when God is most powerfully at work. So the gospel doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen to me. But it does mean, it does mean I do not have to fear bad things. God has not cursed me. God is not punishing me. All that happens to Jesus on the cross, on my behalf, already done, finished with. God has not cursed me. God is not punishing me. Indeed, nothing now can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now to him be praise and glory and honor and power both now and forever. Amen.